Hello, and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And we've been through an ordeal. Yes, we have. Not as big of an ordeal as Ned Beatty. No, never. I've been through this ordeal twice because I lived through the 70s and now I've lived through it cinematically and realized why people preferred the 80s. Is this the cinematic, like, what's the word I want? Like, does this sum up the 70s in one movie? No, but it's part of that um, breaking away from, a disillusionment of the 60s, the sort of flower power generation, and the 70s was just, as you've seen through Taxi Driver, and they got sort of... Although, well, okay, first of all, we watched Deliverance. We watched Deliverance. And no one should ever say it with that much joy in their voice. No. I don't know what I'm thinking. Lovely scenery. What was On the bright side. Uh, I had seen this movie previously zero times. How many times have you seen this movie? I have not seen the entire film. I was shown scenes of it and given the screenplay to read when I was in a screenplay class because there were really good examples of how to define character through action. I guess. Rather than through words. I.e. short script. Right. (laughs) Because there isn't a lot of talking in this film. There's a lot of screaming in this movie. Before we get into the movie... How was your week? It's hard to remember anything before what happened to Nate Bailey, but I'm sure it was a good week. I had a birthday. I uh, got to see the Avengers film. And Infinity I War. I ate myself sick. Oh, that's bad. Well. Was that the Mexican food? That was Otais, yes, it Otais. was. And it was really, really, really good. But I ate so many appetizers that I did not actually eat my meal. I and then I had so. breakfast that morning at Rudy's. Ah, uh, there was that. So there was just a lot of food that day. And I just needed an early nap, I think. And then we went on an adventure and went to Alameda. Alameda. What is it called? It's not a flea market. It's an, an, an antiques fair. An antiques fair is like a flea market, except without the reefer smoke. Mm, I bet there was reefer smoke if you really wanted to is take a, a deep m- breath in. <laughs> but it was right on the water, so the, yeah, we the were out smoke the got dissipated. Former Naval quickly. Air Station. Yes. And yeah, it was a really nice day, too. It was, we've had. A uh, very inconsistent weather, so it was good oh, to be well. out. We are very lucky compared to apparently there's still snow happening in some places. Uh, so weather that consistently sucks. Let's talk Deliverance. Okay. This movie was released on another Sunday because seventies were a weird time. Uh, yes. July thirtieth, nineteen seventy-two. A perfect summer <laughs> <laughs> flick for the family. What is happening? Coming into this movie, I knew it because of a, I really think it might have been a bit on a morning radio show. Really? That's not wherein, how I found humor in this. Where, yes, uh-huh. wherein somebody basically Yankovic'd The Waiting is the Hardest Part uh-huh. by Tom Petty to have the lyrics, Ned Beatty had the hardest part. Which he certainly Certainly did. did. So I knew that this movie involved uh, a rape scene of a man and rafting and the South. Two things that go together. And dueling banjos. That is what I knew about this movie. Hey, after we watched it, turns out that's all. That's all. That's this whole movie. I knew it all before I started watching it. I think this movie, uh, this film is minimalist. Yeah, that's not In terms of plot. It just, it's about what it's about. And there's not a great deal of elaboration on that. Fair. A lot of it is left up to you to decide who was in the right and who was in the wrong and who did what. And 
what their actions were about. And the performances are good enough to where you can look at that and extrapolate from it what's going on in the heads of the characters. I don't know if I'm going to f- come down on that with that, that same assessment when we get to the end here. Okay. So do you want to... start? I mean, the plot synopsis is going to be pretty brief, so... Yes. Um, <laughs> up shit creek without a paddle. Yeah, right. That's pretty Done. much it. Although there were paddles. Right. At one point, there but were got no lost. boats. <laughs> right? But. Paddles and boats quickly disappeared. Four Atlanta men, Lewis... Ed, Bobby, and Drew. So wait, hold up on that. Uh-huh. So Lewis is which one? Lewis is Let's go over Burt Reynolds. Characters. Okay, Lewis uh, is Burt Reynolds. Uh-huh. He's the man's man. Right. He's like the outdoorsy person. Um, he is also the one who wants to do this trip in the first place. Mm-hmm. They are they're rafting a river. It's a fictional river mm-hmm. called the. Oh, I'm gonna fuck it up. Kahulawasi. Gesundheit. That's as good as it's going to get. The okay. Kahulawasi uh, River is going to be dammed, and so this entire area, this mm-hmm. basin where this river flows through, is going to be a lake. Right, it's, it's going so to be underwater. creepy to think about. And Ugh. you see that at different top points mm-hmm. in the film. You see trees that uh, should be springing from the earth, springing from the middle of the lake. Yeah. So it's already happening, and people are being evacuated. So And so he wants to go, mm-hmm. and he's enlisted his friend, Ed Gentry. Gentry. I think it was Gentry in the movie, though. It's pre- it's spelled Gentry, but I actually think his it was pronounced Gentry. And that is John Voight, mm-hmm. a post-Midnight Cowboy. Not having a much better time. Yes. No, well, he was a little more... What's the opposite of inept? Is ept the opposite yes, of it? Apt. He was ept in this film, but found himself... Uh, pretty helpless at certain points, well, but through no fault of his own. Right, this changes over the course of the film. Um, rocking a weird blonde mustache. Don't do. Oh, and Reynolds, no mustache. What's happening? Is, well, but this is <laughs> pre the mustache. Pre, I know pre Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds. No, this is now really... he's just uh, biceps. Burt Reynolds, right. and then Bobby Tripp. That would be the Ned Beatty part referred to earlier. It's the hardest. And Drew is played by, what's his name? Ronnie Cox. Cox. Ronnie Cox. He's the guitar player, gentle soul of the group. Gentle soul would be what I would call him, um, among other things. <laughs> but he he really is... He's like the heart of the film. The kindest of them. Really. Well, if you were going to look at them as body parts. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Burt Reynolds would be the muscle, and John Voight would be... Kind of the brains. Kind of the brains. And Drew's the heart, and I guess Ned Beatty gets to just be the body. Or, Sad. <laughs> Sad for Ned Beatty. Or the mouth. I mean, he does his... Uh, he, Burt Reynolds, or rather, um, Lewis does not care for Bobby. Who's I don't Beatty. think Lewis cares for any of them, including mm-hmm. his buddy Ed. So it seems like Lewis and Ed go on these adventures right. regularly. And Ed has invited Bobby and Drew to come along this time. Uh, Bobby and Drew don't know Lewis. Lewis mm-hmm. did not know them. And Lewis doesn't seem to care for yeah. any of their metrosexual <laughs> city boy bullshit. <laughs> well, the... The defining characteristic of Ned Beatty's character through the first half of the film is that he is fat, unquote. Because... Yeah, wow, there's a lot of body shaming in this movie. He just calls him chubby. Well, because he is the exact opposite. 
Burt Reynolds' character is... Yeah, but this is also at the time when... Because right. 70s bodies... Were different. ...are not 2000s bodies. There is not a six-pack under that uh, life vest. Well, but... Well, the thing is also... I mean, okay. there might be, but there's a keg on top of it. Like, right. there's some... Well, with Burt Reynolds, he's representing, like, a physical specimen who's built to survive. And John Voight is somewhere in the middle. And these other two are far too civilized. And I think that's part of the message of the film. That when they go out in the wilderness, there are some people who are prepared to survive it. And Burt Reynolds' philosophy, his abilities. At one point, he he's hunting fish with a bow and arrow. Yeah, that was very impressive. <laughs> he it's, shot a fish. He shot yeah. it. But at the same time, what they end up fighting isn't nature. It's fighting other human beings. Yeah, um, which but, is not But we're getting far nature. ahead of ourselves. All right. The first part of it is that they're outdoorsmen. Um, oh, and all of them are dicks except Drew. So they're traveling down the river. The very first part of the film, the very first day of their trip, is the four men having different levels of encounters with the locals. Yeah. Lewis has no, uh, really refers to them as inbred. A lot of the stereotypes you'll see later in films exaggerate what happens. Exaggerate, here. yeah. And in, in and many they're ways, all extraordinarily um, rude. Right. To the locals, who who knows how smart they are? Well, who knows anything about them other than they're poor because they live in this rural area and they're about to lose their homes maybe because this river is getting flooded. Right, and they come in and they are they're like Americans in foreign country. You know what I mean? Like mm, they ugly are Americans, not all. Yeah, ugly. Yes, the ugly American. It's their ugly American stereotype, right. but it's in their own country. They're oh, yes. just very dismissive of them. Right. They mock them to their faces. Like, we see what you're doing. Except Drew. Drew does not. Drew is, he starts a banjo. Oh, no, he's playing a guitar. He plays the guitar, and he starts a riff on the guitar. With a, uh, I guess, a boy. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be, uh, he was 16 when he, when uh. the actor was 16 when they filmed it. They begin what becomes very famous, the dueling banjos. Dueling scene. banjos. Uh, although there's only one banjo. <laughs> yes, it's a, a guitar and a banjo. A guitar and a banjo. And they go back and forth. And it's a really lovely, it's probably the most communication that they have, the most positive communication they have with the river people at any point in the film, except maybe for at the end. with a, a, Maybe, yeah. With a, the sheriff, but we'll go into that later. Well, the sad part is that Drew seems to think that he's made a real friend. He does. And this voice doesn't want to communicate with him outside of communicating through music. Yeah. He um he plays with them and he right. beats him uh-huh. like he he Drew cannot keep up with this kid. They see him later on a on a bridge and the kid doesn't just stares him down. Right. Drew wants to, like says he could play all day but they they cannot. They're looking for people first. They need gas and then they're looking for people to drive their car to the end point. There are two mm-hmm. cars. They have two, they've come in two cars and they want somebody to drive their cars down to the town that they're going to end in. So that they can raft the river in one direction and then be done. Because you can't right. raft in the other direction. Well, because there's rapids, so you can't raft yeah. up the rapids and the waterfalls to get back. Yeah. And they're very yeah. but they're very dismissive and rude to everybody. Right. Finally they find people who haggle them up. <laughs> he says something like, I'll give you thirty, and the dude's like fifty. Right. <laughs> I think they settle on forty. They settle on forty. And nobody's quite sure if their cars are going to be there at the end. Well, he probably should have been a little bit kinder to them if he wanted the cars to be delivered. But what you also get the sense of is that Lewis is kind of a danger addict, even the way he drives his car. 
Oh yeah. He he's uh, and again just stressing that the the part the way that Reynolds is playing is this physical specimen who's fearless and who. But like full uh, of just toxic masculinity because like he won't let he won't follow the locals mm-hmm. to the river. Like right. he just forges ahead. He fucks up a couple of times and just drives off into trails that aren't trails. Right. But he will not follow someone. Like he can't. He won't allow them to lead him somewhere. Well, so they all um, they pair off in boats. Yeah. And the first part when of they the, finally get to the, the first leg of it, the first day of the trip, Lewis is in a boat with Bobby, Bobby and he is not kind to him at all. Nope. He calls him chubby constantly. Constantly. He also is yelling at him all the time, something that Bobby points out. Now, Bobby is a different kind of man. Uh, he makes his living, what was it? Insurance. Right. And so he's Ironically. a talker. Yes. And so he loves to talk. He loves to be the center of attention in his own way. He puts on a sort of a show he's about a it. He does. Yeah. And so he instinctively gets in the, you know, rubs Lewis, who's this quiet brooder for most of the part. Unless, of course, he's pontificating on... I don't is a quiet brooder. Mm-hmm. I just think he thinks and talks about sh- that Bobby has no concept of and vice versa. And I think Bo- I think Lewis is a person who also wants to be the shining star in mm-hmm. a space. Well, he naturally is just by virtue of the fact that in this environment he's the only one who really knows what he's doing. Although the the bow actually I think belongs to Ed. I mm-hmm. actually think it's John Voight's so he's pretty adept. Like he, they've they've done these trips before. Right, but Ed also has a fear of of actually taking the shot, shooting live things. Right, he's very good at a target, but cannot shoot a live thing. As we see at one point when he tries to shoot a deer, and his hands begin to tremble. He his just, hands, his whole body shakes. He doesn't have the ability. Yeah, but anyhow, so they spend their first night out in the woods. And the next day, it happens very quickly in the film. This is yeah. not something that gets built up to. Yeah, this is like 15 minutes in, 20 minutes in, right, maybe? Which reminds me a lot of Psycho, where yeah. something happens violent right away, and you're not prepared for it because there's no... It's like the opposite of Taxi Driver, right. where it's like, where's all this violence everybody's and telling me about? Oh, shit. Right. <laughs> I found it's, it. It's just the opposite. You're, And I think it works in this film because you're not prepared for it when it happens. Yeah, yeah it maybe. Completely out which of Which is ruined a bit by... Having foreknowledge of the, right. of the movie, but yeah, the the two the the Bobby says I don't want to ride with Lewis again. He yells at me, and it's fucking sucks. And so he rides with Ed, and then Lewis and Drew are together, and they get separated. And, and do they get out? Do they get out to piss or like what is? Why do they sort of pull over? I think they pull over to because they don't have any sight of Lewis. Oh, okay. They're just going to wait Lewis until and, he comes down. And Drew are in a boat far mm-hmm. behind. The one's, I, one's wooden and one's aluminum, I think. One's wooden and one's aluminum. And right. I don't know which works Because they switch off at times. Which. But they wind up getting stuck, on, pulling over on this bank because they see these two men there. And I think they're looking for directions. Because they're asking how to get to a particular place. On the oh, maybe. They're separated from, from Lewis. And one of the two characters, he's really... Uh, and again, this is part yeah, of the issue of the film. This is a, a gross stereotype. Yeah. Like, it is the redneckiest of rednecks. Toothless hicks. With, sans right. teeth. Sans bathing in... Oh, wow. Possible right. moonshiners is, is, I mean, it's like That's every, right. every kind of That's right. One of them mentions moonshine and right. they get real 
like defensive right. about it. So <laughs> yeah, this is I mean, this is a very because the scene progresses at a really kind of natural speed. Yeah, it as wasn't if you're watching hurried. the encounter going on. And you're like, are they going to get out of it? Is it going to happen later? But no, right. no, they're not. They, the two men have a shotgun between mm-hmm. them. And moonshiners, yes, to be clear. The, yes, the, uh, they're accosters. Mm-hmm. We can go ahead and call them rapists at this point. They tie John Voigt to a tree with his belt by the neck, right. making him basically unable to move. And then they force a Ned Beatty to strip down uh-huh. all the way to his underwear. And then they want him to take that off too, which he manages to sort of take off before he kind of understands what's, what's about, about to, to happen. happen right. And then he tries to run and he he can't get any purchase. They're on a pretty steep hill. And the there's a lot of and, there's yeah. a lot of uh, leaves and stuff, so he falls and yes, he is um, assaulted by one of the two men who yes, tell him to squeal like a pig. That's where that line comes from. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, at one point he says that Ned Beatty is smooth all over like a sow. Oh, and then that's starts right. saying that he's more a sow than a boar. That's right. And then that's when he, he rapes him. He's yeah. Of the, you know, I, I, and you yeah. see it, it is not in, it's in frame, but it's not in focus. Right, because you're focused more on John Voight's face. and it's Who's fo- being forced to right. watch this, witness this. Right. In the background. Well, another person stands over him with a shotgun and the one person's raping Ned Beatty. And I think that that's where the image for the um, poster comes from, which uh-huh. is the big blue eye. Right. I think that's to be John okay. Voight's sort of horror right. eye, you know, viewing this. And then the gentleman finishes? I don't know how to fucking say it. Anyways, he gets done and leaves Ned Beatty on the ground <sighs> where he was. And comes over and they're taunting John Voice. And I guess the idea is to give the other one a chance. Well, what do we want to do with him? And what do you specifically right. want to do with him? And that's where the you've got a pretty mouth line comes right. from, which I had always thought was targeted towards Ned Beatty. I thought it was all the same right. instance, but it is not, which makes sense because if anybody's ever seen John Voice's mouth, he's got an A-plus mouth. Well, his daughter inherited it. <laughs> his, his daughter mouth. inherited it, so... So I was like, oh, that makes way more sense, which is a it's weird horrible. thing to think. Exactly. But I was like, I have separated myself from these incidences to keep myself protected from them. As this is playing out, um, as he's basically saying, you know, I'm going to orally rape you. John Voight sees behind them, Lewis is there with his bow. And he's like, sort of eyes big sort of mm-hmm. nodding his head in a way that I was like, you're going to give it away. Like, mm-hmm. you clearly look like you're communicating with somebody else. But he doesn't give it away, and Burt Reynolds has no fear of shooting a living thing and, in fact, shoots the one that had raped Ned Beatty through the chest. Right. Uh, at and which point, kind of all hell breaks loose. Well, now, I, I want to discuss a couple of elements about this first. Mm-hmm. Why it's so disturbing. Because it was almost a trope in film in the six films in the sixties and seventies that you would see female characters get raped. Mm, that's unfortunate. Um, Unsurprising, but yes, unfortunate. I mean, growing up watching a lot of westerns with my dad, there was almost always a scene mm. where someone was attempting to be raped or about to be raped or actually raped. Right, yeah. they could do that because there's a lot of dresses to hide, mm-hmm. actual action. Right. 
Yeah. And, you know, eventually it would cut away and, and right. you wouldn't and see you the actual thing. Right, and you just hear screaming or whatever. But uh, this has, like, been a part of consciousness or cinematic consciousness for a long time, that scene. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's effectively done, it's horrible. But I'm just like, in your opinion, what is it that makes the scene, having seen it with fresh eyes, what is it that... Because uh, it is really disturbing. It is disturbing. It, it's probably the fact that we are focusing on a witness. Mm-hmm. So we're witnessing and we're also sort of taking in the horror of a witness. Right. Sort of multiplying that horror upon itself. Mm-hmm. It's... I guess I've been desensitized to a lot of things. Because I wasn't... And maybe because I just knew. I was like, this is right, a thing that happens in this movie. So I was very surprised at how early it happened. Mm. And then I was like, is the rest of this going to be like a revenge thing? Like, what's... The runtime on this isn't, you know, 35 minutes. Right. So what is going to happen? But no, I think it is the the focus on John Boyd's face. I mean, he did win Best Picture or right. Best Actor for, for a reason right. uh, previously. I don't know about this one, but... The the performances around this scene, what happens next? I, I think mm-hmm. Drew goes chasing after one of the men with a paddle. Yes. Once John Voight's able to grab the gun from him. Uh, they cut him free. Right. So he can move again. And Ned Beatty is... has is Basically separates himself and is dressing himself. Right. Like that is what he is doing. He but is, he does approach the body like he wants to hurt it after mm-hmm. he sees that... Because the man takes forever to die, which is also very realistic. This is not... It does. He, he gets yeah. shot... Through the heart, I think? Dead it's center. probably not through the heart. It uh-huh. was a center shot. There was nothing they were going to uh-huh. save him. His, he was probably shot in the heart, but uh-huh. not right through it. Right. So, yeah, he takes... Oh, what is it? A good two minutes of screen time? Right. Just sort of gasping and spitting. Yeah. And, and Burt Reynolds' character, he does a really interesting thing where he sits there, and at first he's sort of startled by the fact that he did it. He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> and then I, I really can. he sits there leaning on the same branch of the corpses or the dying man and just sort of watches he him. Watches him, yeah. And so there's a, a real sense that this is that he's kind of predatory himself. He's a predatory animal in himself because, again, this is his environment. Hunting and killing things is what he does. But he gets into a terrible fight argument. Well, because Drew is like, we have to call the police. We have to get. We, we have to let them and know Lewis, what happened. Right. And Lewis is like, fuck to the nuts. Right. He's like, we are burying this dude. This is all going to be underwater, and we're going to continue the fuck on like nothing happened. We We are not... These are local people, and we right. are outsiders. Well, that, and he brings up very good points. If we're put on trial by a jury of this man's peers, it's going to be his mom, his dad, yeah. his relatives, and they're going to be sitting in a jury box looking at you. Yeah. And you're going to try to explain to him, oh, your son raped a part- member of our party? Yeah. Secondly, do you really want to put Bobby through this? Let's all sit down and talk about how he was raped. What about That's what's that the thing. Do to his That's who kind of breaks the tie. Because right. John Boyd, uh, Ed doesn't really say anything. Yeah. But Ned Beatty is like, I don't want anybody to know what just happened. Right. I just don't. So whatever we have to do to make that happen, that's what I vote for. And I think that's what gets Drew. Drew is not happy about this decision, but it's what gets Drew to acquiesce, I think. I think, yeah, it is. It's understanding that it's going to hang over all of them. But Drew is just, he... He he's he is now a broken man. Right. 
And that's, just that's something is. that happens in the rest of the film. He does not recover from nope. this. Because the guilt And you can see yeah. it kind of in his eyes. Like, his eyes go dead, and he just is... All of his exuberance, because mm-hmm. he was very much youthfully exuberant right. as, a, as a grown man. Right. He is, but he again, is done. If you want to see... And again, I, I emphasize that these are all really good performances. Ronnie Cox just looks like the bottom got taken out of him. Mm-hmm. In, in that scene, he's completely losing it. He's yelling. He's lost uh, the pitch of his voice. He's yeah. really just having this sort of emotional breakdown. I don't even know. And it feels like he doesn't uh, even understand. Like, he cannot comprehend any side but his. Right. He Like, he is a law-abiding individual. Like, that, it, it, it doesn't even occur to him mm-hmm. that you wouldn't... Right. There is a right thing to do, and he wants to do it. Mm-hmm. The fact that he goes charging off into the woods chasing a man with the paddle means that he doesn't lack personal courage. No. But he doesn't sort of see what the cost is going to be to everybody else no. or the potential danger. But I think when he hears the cost to Ned Beatty, he right. understands. He's not in any way happy with it, but he doesn't no. understand. So but, they, yeah. they uh, bury him? They bury him in an incredibly shallow grave. Well, the idea is that, the, the, like you said, this mm. is going to be underwater right. in days. So as long as nothing digs him up today. And to the <laughs> director, and again, John Borman, who's a, a wonderful director, very idiosyncratic and strange, but a wonderful director. I mean, it, uh, he does these scenes in this almost awkward real time. The death of the man takes place in real time. The rape attack takes place in real time. Yeah, what I would consider you, real time. It's about, it's about a minute. Right. But there's hardly abbreviated. There's just four people... And you're watching them. Yeah. This is not a modern kind of filmmaking where, you know, we'd do some sort of montage or we'd cut away. No. You're just sitting there watching people dig in the ground. For yeah, there's a minute or two. And it's, about yeah, it's, it's making all these moments because it's it I think where it helps is it makes you a part of what just happened. Right. You're more than uh, a passenger there. You're part of it, you're part of the assault. You feel soiled by it. There's um do you really wanted Burt Reynolds to do what he does, but then you're guilty about it afterwards? Uh, you're, you're, it kind of drags you through with these people. Mm-hmm. You should speak for yourself because I don't agree with half of what you just said. Okay, so where do you disagree? <laughs> I don't. It's fine. Because no, um, I want to understand. I want to. I don't feel bad uh-huh. after he did it. Nope, not at all. I watched that guy choke out for three more days. I'm like, <laughs> uh, uh-uh, you are bad, dude. Not bad. I think not bad <laughs> that he did it. I think. Let me see. I rephrase it. I think that he, there's just sort of a guilt associated with the fact that he did kill a person and now everything is being hidden and they're going to have to carry this for the rest of it's their lives. Yes, and that is true. And right. and you never know when that's going to come back. Right. And that, that makes it even worse. So they've buried the body mm-hmm. and then they're going on. And this is where something really weird happens, where it's almost left up to the viewer what actually happens. They go through a set of rapids. See, you've read the script, so... It, it shouldn't be up to the viewer. I want well, to know what actually happens. Right. But go ahead. So the the well, the script actually uh, changes from the uh, the film at times. Oh, okay. Um. So yeah, my understanding is "Squeal Like a Pig" is not no. what was 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 not scripted. That was improvised on the moment, apparently. Uh, and I was looking for it because everyone's like, "That's a real famous line." But like the Godfather, some of the lines that a lot of them are, yeah. were improvised by the improvised, crew or yeah. the, uh, the cast. They're heading through some rapids mm-hmm. and. Drew is completely deflated. 
He's barely dragging himself. Yeah, he's like not paddling. Right. So you're hearing, I w is, it, is it still Lewis and It's Lewis Drew? who's yelling directions, and he's really taking charge of the group right now. He's being yelled at to, to paddle, and he's not mm. paddling. And right. then, bloop, he's out of the boat. He's, he falls out <laughs> of the boat. There's all sorts of rapids. People are being tossed around. There's rocks underneath it. Burt Reynolds, I might add, who at the time was a stuntman, there's mm -hmm. <laughs> a spectacular kind of gymnastic backflip. Yeah. Because he really had to go for it. Now, there's a it fact wasn't that, a backflip. It was a forward view. He just, just dives. But what was the point that you were going to bring up about stuntmen? Uh, so all of the men, they didn't have stuntmen on this uh -huh. film. All of the men did their own stunts. And they did it without the benefit of insurance to keep the production values down, which was immensely stupid <laughs> and i guess there were a couple of scenes where they had done it with a dummy and it looked you know like a dummy, like a dummy. and the director was like nah you're doing it you have to do it so yeah these guys are doing all their own stunts mm -hmm. and only one of them is a professional stuntman the other three are actors <laughs> but it's but it doesn't matter a professional stuntman does the work with insurance. Right, exactly. Because if anything had happened to them, oh well, I hope you liked your career up to now because now you're dead or whatever. Right. And there's something actually that we should probably later will And probably, uh -huh. I'm going to say that I don't understand a production company okaying a, a no insurance on these are movie stars. John Voight John is a Voight, yes. movie star. Now, by this point, John Voight. The other Voight, two, maybe not. Burt Reynolds had not really broken out yet. This was really the breakout performance. This was Ned Beatty's first theatrical film. Okay. His only other appearance at this point was doing a training film for the FBI playing a bank robber. Oh, interesting. Okay. So uh, that's maybe why. When and he, But Ronnie Cox was like right, a, character was a character actor. actor. And he remained so. But he, these yeah. are people who, if they are injured. Right. Will sue the production company and take them the fuck down. Why? Mm. Because no jury's going to be like, "Oh yeah, production company, it's cool that you didn't pay for insurance, mm. and now these people are like, mm -mm. It, I hope that you liked owning a production company because <laughs> right. now this gentleman owns your production company. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. The kind of things that used to get pulled in the movies are crazy. Yeah, okay. It's bonkers. Old gangster films, sometimes they use live bullets. They just shot in the opposite direction of the actors. James Cagney said that. So, uh, yes. Brendan Lee might have some things to say about that. <laughs> right. the, the things that they used to do are nuts compared to what, you know, nowadays films are very highly insured and you do not do anything like this anymore. But well, um, you do because people still end well, up with, but anyways. Yes. Anyways. So, yeah. So, everybody's out of the boats. Right. The wooden one breaks in half. Mm -hmm. Lewis's leg breaks in half. He gets a... Horribly. Whew, he get, this is actually probably the part that upset me the most because I didn't know it was going to happen. And a compound fracture is very upsetting to me. Mm -hmm. He gets a compound fracture out of his femur, which is a very difficult thing to do and also would definitely have killed him right. because he is bone out to the world in nature right. for... A day plus, and if you don't get infected, no, you get infected. That's what happens. You're in the river. Mm -mm, no, nah, he wouldn't. Mind die. you, this is one of the more interesting kind of technical effects in a very kind of low, yeah, embellished production, which is he actually, uh, Burt Reynolds and the director 
went to a butcher and found a soup bone of yeah. suitable size and stuffed it inside of his very tight pants. Yeah. And pretty much that's And then how popped it out. out. Yeah. So he's got a femur fracture, right. a compound femur fracture. So he is out. They drag him up. To the riverbank. To like, which is not even bank. on the bank. Like, He's like in right. inside of like of this cave in the rocks. It felt very Hunger Games to right. me. I was like, that's where Pete hides. Um, <laughs> and so he cannot be of any use. Right. Then. Lewis gone. We don't know where he is. No, there's something. Um, no, Lewis is uh, uh, Drew. You mean? Oh yes, I'm sorry, Drew. No, Lewis is convincing the other two, and this is where he the he says Drew comes got in. shot. Drew got shot by the other guy, mm-hmm. the one who ran away mm-hmm. of the two. Uh, That's what he the says. Attempted rapist, rather than the, the yes. So the the accomplice. To the accomplice the is the one, one who. Sh- so what, is the one who got away. So and he's this the one. was a discussion in my screenwriting class. Was Lewis so aware that these guys were losing their shit that he tells them a story to make them fight on. Right. Because he knows And also, did Drew just leap out of the... Like, did he just was like... Was he like, but for this life, not me, yoink? I, he, <laughs> like, he and just killed like, himself? Because he... I mean, he's he, exhausted he was, and he falls forward and the balance of the book because it's a canoe. It's a canoe, yeah. And canoes are not notoriously mm-hmm. unstable, really, mm-hmm. than what they are. And so it's hard to tell because it looks like he literally falls off the boat. Like he just doesn't have it in him. And it might be like a really passive-aggressive suicide. But the question be- became, you know, in our class, there was a not a heated argument, but a really lively discussion. Well, was it a lie or was it the truth or was it the lie they needed to yeah. have to survive? Because what happens immediately afterward is that while Bobby is watching... Uh, Lewis. Bobby stays back with right. Lewis, and then John Boy Ed climbs the cliff. Now, mind you, again, no stuntman. No stuntman. <laughs> right, so he's climbing. He climbs up this cliff on his own, and it is not a cliff you should climb no. without a stuntman. That's all I'm going to say. Like, I, it, to say I was just like, this seems bad. My respect for John Voight's commitment is fairly high because well, this looks like a place to break Also, they're out in nature, and the director was like, you're climbing that cliff. What's he going to do? Right. I don't know. I just, he knows how much money it takes every minute that he doesn't do a thing. You, I, I will point out that the writer of the, the book, James Dickey, James Dickey, who later plays the sheriff in the film, that's right, got into a fist fight with the director over the way this material is being handled. So something oh, tells me uh... that either Borman or Dickey, although Dickey apparently was full of himself, that's what Burt Reynolds said, well, he but, wrote the he wrote the novel and the screenplay. Right. Yeah, so. so he was having some issues, but I think that the director was making choices that might have been pissing a lot of people off. And well, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, it yes. John Voight yes. is not a small man. Most no, of the he's rock like climbers, six five or something. Most of the rock climbers I know are wiry people who. And I promise you, he was wearing the wrong shoes. Right. It just seemed like it was there a dangerous thing to There wasn't a cramp on in sight. Right. It's not great. He's hand over hand climbing That was up the extent of my, my rock climbing knowledge. knowledge. Rock climbing. That was but, it. Cramp yeah, on. Yeah, so he, he climbs up to the top of this rock. I, I think it's to get a better point of view to see if he can find the man who shot Lewis, assuming that Lewis had been shot. Well, yes, and also he says he had been shot from above. Right. You mean Drew. Drew. Um, Everybody, we're messing up all of the names. Well, Drew is... Well, Drew. Drew's been shot, right? Right. So Lewis was warning people, the the time that you see him shooting these sort of rapids, 
he's looking up to the banks on either side. Right. So he's aware or or wary, he's <laughs> right? acting. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That something might happen because they're all at this point paranoid that the guy who ran off has gotten a bunch of his cousins and they're going to come shoot. Right. Them. Right. And they're at such a terrible spot. I mean, they're literally fish in a barrel. There's a cliff on either side, and looking down yes. the river, they're in, they're easy in a gorge. Right. And they, there's nothing they can do about it. So, um, And so they're afraid to continue on right. because they're afraid they're going to get shot at from above. So that's why uh, John Voight climbs the cliff mm-hmm. and then ends up fucking falling asleep, dum-dum, uh, until the next morning when he is awoken by, I don't know, uh, probably a step on a branch, some sort of twig breaking. And he wakes up. Twig breaking, which is like a, a trope I mean, that goes sure back to James Fenimore Cooper. They <laughs> don't show that, but right. that's got to be what happens. Right? I'm like, one in the world, he's going to fall asleep, and he did. And he, and he wakes up, mm-hmm. and he sees the dude, and he manages through his shaking. Mm-hmm. And he is shaking. And it is like a bananas amount of shaking. It's like a seizure. He, But of... like... More right. than that. Um, he manages to go ahead. He manages to shoot both himself and this gentleman. <laughs> he he does shoot the dude, uh-huh. kills him, but also shoots himself in the leg. Mm, I don't know how he did it. I can't remember. Like there's and, and for people, we should warn them. There's a lot of reasons not to watch this movie. Oh okay. yeah, we'll get to that at the end. Too. Um, but because <laughs> the, also Burt Reynolds retrieves his arrow. From the man he shot, and that scene goes on for a yeah, few seconds. Yeah, he pulls too. it through because you don't pull an arrow out because it's got an arrowhead. Right. That so you get impede. to see, you know, him working his biceps, at, and it's a really startling kind of effect when you think about it. Uh, watching him really wrestle with getting this arrow out of the body, but you're not spared that at any moment. Right. You're watching the whole entire thing again in real time. And then he pushes the dude. Mm-hmm. Now we're going back to off uh, of the cliff. And on the top of the rock. Yeah, the on the top of the, And then, like, scrambles down or jumps down. Well, he ties or... him to a rope because he wants to lower him, and then the rope snaps. I oh, is that what happens? Okay. And then everyone comes falling down. Yeah. And for a moment, in this sort of creepy revenge moment, Ed is tangled up with the body of the guy he just That's killed. right. And so for a second, it seems almost like he's wrestling the dead man. He also, because he has to get close to him, because mm-hmm. he... He needs to know if it's the same guy. Right. And that the accomplice had no front teeth. Right. He was missing both of his upper front teeth. Uh, and it appears that this person has front teeth. But then you said that it was... Dentures. Dentures. So hopefully he got the right guy. Mm, unclear. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the sense of it. Because you later on find out that there were two guys traveling together that were sort of shady. But well, that's getting ahead of Yeah. So then they both come down. They weight that body down. They also find Drew's body. And they start looking around for bullet holes. Mm-hmm. But I, as far as I can tell, don't no. see one. And so that, again, uh, is possibly that Lewis just told them that so that they would right. keep fighting. It was unclear to me because I was like, are, do, are they, do they want to find a bullet hole or do they not want to find a bullet That's hole? That's the odd part, too. Because yeah. later, because they, they keep that body with them and mm-hmm. they continue down the river and they end up rowing through this lake that is now forming. So mm-hmm. that's where you see all of these trees, like right, coming the up. tops of trees just coming out of the water, which is very creepy. Then when they get to the end, basically, mm-hmm. what they find their cars, mm-hmm. which is a 
fucking miracle. And that's where they weigh Drew down. And they drop him in there. And then Lewis is now in charge now. Excuse me. Uh, Ed is now in charge. Because Lewis... Lewis can't. He's is basically unconscious. Between Ed and oh, yeah. Bobby. Bobby's up front. Almost leaning on Bobby. Like, yeah, he is leaning on Bobby, uh, Bobby. And I actually mentioned that because... His face is basically pressed into Bobby's lower back. Lewis is on his stomach. Right. And his face is basically pressed into Bobby's lower back. And I was like, if Bobby just suffered the kind of trauma that we know that Bobby just suffered, I don't know that he would be able to tolerate a human pressure on his lower back. Right. I could be wrong. Because I felt like there was some sort of dynamic that developed... Maybe when he saved it. Where, that might be true. And he killed the rapist. That might and be so, true. And also the fact that they seem to change. But I'm just thinking um, physically. Yeah, I don't know. That's that his body question. might recoil from uh-huh. that. But I also felt that he recovered better, faster I felt, than right. I would expect. And and maybe it was one of those things where he basically went into shock and he was. He's going to deal with it all later, right. but not on the river because I can't. What I felt was about that, and that it was an interesting question. Once he raised, I started paying attention to it. Is that he? It was like he's a person slips and immediately stands up. He's immediately trying to act like nothing's wrong. Right. And I also saw that as that maybe that's what that part of the maybe. performance was. It's like nothing happened. No, nothing, you didn't see that. Nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, the, all and the we only, never have to talk about it. You don't have to ask right. me if I'm okay. Because he's, not, he's not in there with Drew the Boy Scout anymore. He's there with two people who've now killed other people. Yeah, no, so that's true. So we all have something to shut up about. We yeah. all have something to keep quiet about. And we're not going to talk about it anymore. So I Yeah, like, but I, I just felt yeah. physically that his body would maybe recoil in a, mm-hmm. in a way. But I don't know. Yeah, that's an I could be question. wrong about that. And it could also just be mm-hmm. that it was unclear how to portray male sexual assault that victims because it wasn't a thing there is no real we we don't see a lot of that i remember uh, think about how the next time this happened in a mainstream movie was pulp fiction and think about the amount of time that took place between those two films and there really wasn't a clear way of dealing with that then either yeah it was slightly more graphic not as much again but i'm thinking about oz but was that after pulp fiction yeah, which I never saw. That okay. might be something that we cover in terms of television Maybe. Uh, later at some point. Yeah. Although, now that you mentioned in that, pieces. I'm not looking forward Small to pieces. It, it is not... It's not a it's binge not binge program. Program. <laughs> right. There we go. Yeah. But yeah, there, there's just not really... I remember when I was a kid, there was a TV movie called The Rape of Richard Beck, where uh, Richard Crenna... Or was it, it was Beck. straight up called The Rape of Richard right. Beck? Richard wow. Beck? I'm not sure, because it was Richard Crenna who played the part of... Oh, okay. Uh, Tough kind of police detective who is assault, sexually assaulted in the line of duty and how he starts dealing with the trauma of it. And when that film was shown on television, and there was nothing explicit to it, because again, it was television. 1985, um, right, Rape of Richard Beck. It was still like uh, critics, television critics were warning, well, it's an exploitational subject. Directed by a woman. Yeah. And maybe that's why. And Richard Crenna, who is a very good actor, was able to touch a lot of depths with that, including uh, just the kind of 
it was still inside the construct of a detective film. He's able to capture the, the criminals and bring them to justice and whatever. But this is really I'm gonna oh, just go read. I I looked this up because I've never heard of this before. Right. I looked this up on IMDb and the storyline that's listed on IMDb reads: Cop Beck thinks rape victims quote bring it upon themselves. Right to be raped, and has a mind-changing experience when he himself is raped by a couple of white trash felons, one of whom actually says he's going to make him squeal like a pig. Right. And the thing with the squeal like a pig thing was, he wasn't doing that, like, respond to me by doing that. Right. He wanted him to do it, sep- like, before right. the act started. Which means his pigs should be um, taken from him. Right. Well, this, yeah, there's another picture I didn't need. But, yeah, when that film came out, that was, it was really shocking, and it was one of those sort of um, social issue of the week TV movies that was really screwed yeah. up. And, yeah, it feels like a very special episode, right. but like like a very special episode. But, also, guess who's co-starred? Uh-huh. Meredith Baxter. Oh, there you are. I, I completely forgot that because I don't think I was allowed to watch the movie or something. I don't know what... That seems right. I don't feel like your mom would be super on board. I think she watched it. I don't think that I watched it, though, because I think that she was really concerned with the issue. Again, remember, my mom, um, for the, you know, of course, there's no reason why anybody should know, but she ran a prison ministry, so she heard stories. Indeed. Um, that, you know, about... Yeah, that's was, a real fucked up thing right. in our culture that we joke about, like it's joke-worthy. Um, sorry, I have feelings. <laughs> no, no, and you should. I I actually shut off a comedy. What was it with Paul Rudd? Uh, his uh, Ten Commandments movie. Oh yeah. Where there's a very in bad taste movie. scene about you know a romantic get comedy you... between him and his rapist in prison when he gets sent to prison. Oh yeah. And it's done up that way, and it's like I I. I'm like, no, I, I don't not, need that. Yeah, I don't. Because the, the whole point of that comedy was to break every one of the Ten Commandments by being right. intentionally... And yeah, no, it um, was heathenistic, what's the right. word? Yes, and, no. And it was also the movie that stalled Winona Ryder's career for a while because he couldn't, you know, she had... I'm pretty sure her well, shoplifting once you see her, her career you know, for a little while. have a failed affair with a, a ventriloquist dummy, it's like, you know, yeah, it took I didn't, a while I to saw about 15 minutes of that movie and I was like, this movie is not for me. Right. It's like no, it's not for me. It's but, for somebody else. But yeah, so I mean, to get back to the film. Yes. So they get back to they, they find their as you said they find they find their cars cars they fucking miracle they yeah. they they dead weight Drew mm-hmm. and they drop him into sink the him. sink him um, and then they go in, in search of a hospital because Lewis is super He's gonna dying. die. Yeah. Right. And at least that gets covered in some, not exactly realistic as he put it up, but a semi-realistic way that he's dying and at they, that point. And they, they tell that basically exactly what happened. No, 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 no. What do they say? Well, Ed makes up the story. Ed makes up the story, and but they, the stories that they, they give is that he fell overboard mm-hmm. and was drowned, but it was like at the end. At the end. At the last set of rapids rather than where it did happen. Well... Because there's three sets of rapids in the film, and they seem to get more severe as it goes on. That's right. And the first set was like they were very excited and, you know, yeah. we're men, we got through the rapids. That was yeah. like the first day, I think. The yes. second day is where Drew goes over, and the third time is the really severe rapids at the end where it must have... It really... You feel poor Burt Reynolds bumping around in this boat, yes. and he's screaming at this With point. With his like, broken leg. Right. Yeah. Ooh. 
Um, yeah, that was just, it was, it was a lot hard to take. And by the way, also, when you do find Lewis, he is literally broken. Oh, yeah. Ronnie Cox apparently had a neat trick he oh, could do with dislocating not his shoulder. Drew. Drew. Yes, when you um, find Drew, yes. He had a great trick he could do with his dislocating his shoulders. The director just asked him to... So his arm really is slung behind his back in a very upsetting way, right. which apparently is just a way yeah, he could dislocate could his it. shoulder. It's like Ed Helms in the Hangover movie. He can that tooth is a fake; it never grew in, so he can ju- he can just pop it out. And so he was like, "Well, do you want me to lose a tooth?" And the director was like, "Yes, please." Right. You could write it into the film. <laughs> um, but um, so they they reach civilization such as it is. It's one of the towns that's about to be sunk. I mean, and it, it is for you kind of uncomfortable to watch. They actually bring the boat to the end of a driveway for a church. That's how much of it is underwater already. It's like the parking lot's gone. It's just the driveway. Yes, and it then later in the movie, the church is being lifted, dri- and driven away. It's driving down the road because, yeah, it is, this whole town is getting overtaken. So they they um and they stay there for a while uh-huh. and the town is super nice to them and takes exactly. them in which is the second best scene that you see about because there's a scene where now Lewis is in the hospital mm-hmm. that's why they can't leave right and Ed and Bobby are partaking of the local hospitality with these people who are presenting them food giving them refreshments. Yeah, it's like a almost like a bed and breakfast because it's not right. a restaurant. But they very much are, mm-hmm. you know, eating and this big spread of food. Bobby is back in his element, talking about this, you know, how wonderful the food is and how yeah. good the corn is. And in the meanwhile, of course, Ed's freaking out. John Voigt does a really good big-eyed freak-out yeah. thing. He's really good at it. And so they, uh, he's trying to keep his calm. And what happens, the sheriff starts asking questions because one of his deputies is related to one of the guys, one of the rapists. Okay. And... Begins asking all sorts of questions and trying to trip Bobby up. Because they're like, we're missing, two two dudes went missing. Right. And don't they find Drew in a place that he shouldn't be if he went they over where the they said? They find the boat. Okay. Or they find the boat upriver where it should have been further down. Down, right. Um, and so that makes the sheriff suspicious. Which, oh, right. Yeah, because it's not going to ever go the other way. Right. Yeah. But what happens here is that... But they stick to their story, and they they can't find any real right. evidence. Ed really takes control of the situation. He's even now telling, you know, sneaking into the uh, hospital to 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 be like Lewis. We had to change right. our story this much, right? Exactly. And Lewis is like, I blinked twice because <laughs> he'd been faking sleep, right? When the nurse was there, and so he is like, Yeah, I got you. So they're able to keep their cool and keep their calm together, and they wind up getting by, but the sheriff is still suspicious. Yeah. And there's an interesting moment where the sheriff leans over to him and is trying to, like, fake it out right. Ed, looking him in the eye, and then, like, just says, don't ever come back. Yeah, right. They they basically are like, mm-hmm. he's basically like, I think you're full of shit. I can't prove but it. There's something. So just go and don't To come me, back. what I read from that scene is, A, I think you're full of shit. B, I think something happened. See, I think these two assholes that my sheriff, my deputy's looking for, are two people who needed killing. Yeah, you know, it's it's probably fine. Like, right. I can't condone your behavior, right. but go, just need, get out. We don't need those two guys. Just get out of here. Yeah, yeah I'm not, not going to be responsible for you. And of course, they wind up 
going in, and the film ends with Ugh, I don't I I could have done without the ending. So they drive away mm-hmm. and then um and then so it, you, we get a nightmare scene. Right. Where a, like a bloated hand pops up out of the water and I'm like, mm, but no, I don't All want right, it. But see, I understand <sighs> that. I guess because it's been so so done now. Before that, Carrie, this yeah. is before Halloween or before whatever else. This has been done a You're thousand times. You're looking for Friday the 13th. Friday well, the 13th is the well, out of the water specifically. Of water, but, okay, but, but uh, it's way before all of this. And so it's one of those instances where this movie has been ripped off so much that you're seeing other versions of it, or sometimes you're remembering other versions of it. Uh, yeah, I just I was I didn't need that the the epilogue. Right. Well, the epilogue mercifully is very short. It's you, very short. You see his wife. You see his kids. He's hugging them, and then he wakes up in the middle of the night with this vision of a hand coming out of the water, which I suppose ties back to the image where he was actually struggling with the corpse. With the corpse, yeah. But yeah, yeah. And it could be that, you know, he's got to wonder if at any point, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's a lake now, and they could just bob up to the surface. But um, but anyhow. Yep, and that's the end of the movie. That's the end of the very very harrowing movie. Very, yes. So, So, yeah. Did you find this one to be more harrowing than the other kind of films that we've seen? For this, you know, it's Oscar winners for this decade. Well, first of all, it didn't even win an Oscar. I kind of agree with the Roger Ebert, the review. Um, Yeah, he didn't love the movie. Yes, I I did think that all of the acting was very good. His problem was with the screenplay Mm -hmm. and the plotting. And I kind of agree with him. And what he says is, Dickey, who wrote the original novel and the screenplay, lards this plot with a lot of significance. Universal, local, whatever happens to be on the market. He is clearly under the impression that he is telling us something about the nature of man, Mm -hmm. and particularly civilized man's ability to survive primitive challenges. But I don't think it works that way. What the movie totally fails at however, is an attempt to make some kind of significant statement about its action. What James Dickey has given us here is a fantasy about violence, not a realistic consideration of it. It's possible to consider civilized men in a confrontation with the wilderness without throwing in rapes, cowboy and Indian stunts, and pure exploitative sensationalism. And I'd actually agree... Okay, so if James Dickey wants to tell a story about Mm -hmm. Civilized man versus nature, that is not what he did. Mm-hmm. That's not what he did. Here. No, he didn't. <laughs> um, so that's sort of where I'm left. That, see, that is a thing that is more interesting to me. I can see that you would be led to believe that that's what the film is about because that's most of what the conversations that Burt Reynolds' character has at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. But that's not what this right. movie is about. This movie is about how men are terrible. It's a crime drama. Is what it turns into. Yeah. And so it's a crime drama in a rural setting. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the, a beautiful the, um, rural setting, I will it is, go- it is beautiful. Right. The same cinematographer who went on to do Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And, oh, that's another yeah, movie I've never seen. Yeah. Um, there's mashed potatoes in it. <laughs> that's <laughs> yes, my knowledge That's of it. absolutely true. And aliens. Yeah, no, I don't... I, I feel like that's what mm. the... Uh, 
by virtue of of the dialogue he writes in for Lewis at the mm-hmm. beginning. Right. That feels to me very much like what James Dickey wants to do. Unfortunately, the villains of this movie is not the Rapids. Mm-hmm. We could do that. Right. Although the other movie that involves Rapids also involves a, a human villain. But this is a human villain. So, like, the villains in this movie mm-hmm. are human beings. Right. Yeah, I think it depends on how you Man come into it. Man versus nature into the right. wild, 27 hours. Moby Dick. You know, yes, the naked, even that. Love naked prey. That's yeah, kind the of naked prey is man that's, again. That's half against nature. And then I thought again. of a movie that I very much enjoy and have seen several times, uh-huh. which is The River Wild, right. which is basically this. Woman against nature. Woman against nature. Right. Meryl Streep against nature. Meryl Streep against Kevin Bacon. It's I, fantastic. I wonder if, you know, at any point she got a phone call from Burt Reynolds and like, hey, don't let them, don't let them she talk was like, to you. Oh, stuff. they insure my ass. I don't know who you think you're talking <laughs> right, to. Exactly. But I'm Meryl goddamn Streep and I will be insured. And there's no rape in that one. That is man, woman, mm-hmm. no rape in that one. There is threats against her children, but no rape. I've gotten to the end. I'm like, I'm glad that I watched this movie, uh-huh. but it feels like it wants to be something that it isn't. I'm, <sighs> I'm grateful for the performances. Like I said, mm-hmm. everybody was super good. My favorite, I think, was Drew. I think Ronnie Cox was. He's easily, uh, and there's a scene where they sink his body and. Um... And Ed says he was the best of us. He was the best of us. And you feel it. You yeah. Know, you feel like this was... 100%. Yes, the, the heart is of guy, this group right. is, is dead. And Because we were aware of the fact that uh, Lewis is a sociopath. Um, because he doesn't really have this sort of notion of rules or regulate. He's going to do what he does. He's, he felt very much like John Wayne's character in The Searchers. Uh-huh. Like, like yeah, if he could have parallel. stood at the end, he would have been in the doorway and right. unable to come into civilization. Which is, by the way, another really good performance, but mm-hmm. of a particular kind of person. Yes. A person who He felt like he right. was like, fuck civilization, right. these cities, fuck people who can't, you know, feed See, themselves mm-hmm. with the, off the land. And he, he really was of that yeah mentality the only difference is that in the searchers and maybe this is something that's missing for you here at the very the final frame of that film is okay so john wayne's character ethan is able to bring back the girl but he has no place in civilization anymore no and he has so to he's go live off on his own outside and maybe because we end with uh, ed right. we don't end with lewis as far the last thing i remember seeing of lewis basically is, is the him, hospital yeah him um winking to Ed in the hospital. So and I'm it, like, so where is your character? Like, well, what again, is your so character growth? It feels like, whereas John Wayne's character learns something, these or guys comes don't. comes to a realization. That comes to a realization. Yeah, it doesn't mean that he'll learn anything. But um, these characters don't. Yeah, no. They get away with it. And so there's no, if that bothers They went to a place, uh-huh. they disrespected that culture. Mm-hmm. They were attacked by that culture. No, I'm not saying their disrespect mm-hmm. <laughs> deserved no. that attack, but they went in shitting all over those people, and then those people shit all over them, and then they killed them, and then they left. Like it, I it, think it feels shallow to me. I'll play script doctor for you. We'll okay. Listen, okay. I think that if you had had a moment, if you'd ended the film even sooner, 
if we're going to make Ed, because it wasn't very clear who the focus of the, the film was to me in the begin, very beginning that it was going to be Ed. And maybe that was deliberate so that Ed would emerge. Right. If you'd ended it with something happening at that dinner table where they suddenly have to confront and... Like he snaps and starts crying or right, something? Right, in the middle of this thing with these people who are being kind to him and realizing that he had shit on the culture. Yeah. That might have made a better ending where rather than seeing him take the secret with him, the suggestion that he's going to live guiltily the rest of his life, right. he is. And I also don't like uh, the... F- but that would have been an interesting moment to have a confrontation or a breakdown or a realization or something yeah, instead of I, I'm going to keep uh, your mouth But shut. The, the other piece mm-hmm. is Bobby. Right. I don't... Like, I don't feel like Bobby's... Like, he is horribly assaulted. Mm-hmm. And then apparently he's fine. No bigs. Let me just joke with these people. Right. Like I, it does. It fe- It feels a little. It feels like it's minimizing sexual assault a little bit. Yeah. And and I understand that we're talking about a time when they didn't know how to deal with this. That I, doesn't make it better for me, though. I don't know how much. I, I don't know because this was a theatrical film, and this is the '70s, which is a lot more. I mean, it seemed to be a period when they were just testing the waters with a lot of stuff. And I think you've got that from watching movies now. There are things that really they would not put in yeah, yeah. And so I kind of, I missed the, the bravery with confronting child prostitution and whatever else and, that we've seen in these films. But at the same time, they're so relentlessly negative. Yeah. That it's also like, you don't need to have this slice of life. But I just felt I like... I don't know that they would know how Why was it Bobby that yeah. was attacked when it wasn't Bobby's story? Like, it felt a disservice to mm-hmm. that character. Here's this loudmouth, mm-hmm. jovial, chubby, mm-hmm. you know, insurance salesman, which they say with a sneer. Right. He's assaulted, mm-hmm. and that's about it. That's right. and then he becomes a nurse for a little while, and then you know, rose for his life, and then he's fine. Like it just he, his feels like a quarter of a story for no reason. That's a fair criticism, I think. Like to them, it was like what because, happened on the river. Because the then river. now his assault is John Voight's trauma, mm-hmm. but he seems totally fine. Like it just seems odd to me to have yeah. him be the one of the four that was attacked and have it seem to affect him the least. If I have a complaint about the the film and the screenplay, it's just that in an attempt to make it sort of you're not sure of where the story is going. Mm-hmm. There's not really a clear person assigned to be the center of attention, right? And you think it's going to be Lewis because he has the speeches and he has the, right? And then, so it's constantly moving on this sort of weird level of you don't know what's going to happen next and you don't know who the story is shifting to. But I kind of, I almost want, um, I don't want to rewatch it, but I almost want to rewatch it. It's too much, and right. see how right. much. The camera is focused on John Boyd right. because I actually think that they do give that away, where he is the primary mm-hmm. focus in most of the shots. Yeah, and I think, unfortunately, though, that if he's in most of the two shots with Burt Reynolds, you're not looking at him because Burt Reynolds is ultimately just... Right, but I almost right. also think that I bet it's more it focused be, yeah. on him. It might be. Um, we'll give but, it five yeah. years and maybe watch it again. And maybe watch it again. <laughs> right. Yeah, but I, yeah, so I felt like that the... The assault mm-hmm. felt like a plot device that was unnecessary. Well, there, now, 
as I said, this movie has been imitated a lot. There's different versions of this to see of all over the place. I mean, everything from The Hills Have Eyes to Wrong Turn. Yeah, I've never to, seen The Hills Have Eyes. The either. Hills Have Eyes was another. I've never version. seen Wrong Turn either. Right, but there's all. I don't watch of a lot of revenge or um like torture porn. That's right. not my jam. Well, the original Hills Have Eyes was sort of what well, was a mid seventies film too. Yes. And it borrowed a lot from westerns and from the story of Sonny Bean, but it took it to another. It took it even further. They're cannibals then. I think it was a very interesting movie. I think some of the issues that it raises are interesting. It is difficult to say, I want to watch this movie again. And I wonder what it was like for audiences back then to go, what made it such a huge hit? I'm going to watch this movie again. Yeah. And I don't know if that was playing into male fears. Like that was maybe something that they didn't weren't able to express. I certainly feel that there are probably people south of the Mason-Dixon line who do not care for this film at all. Yeah, I was actually looking, and there is a section in the Wikipedia page about, mm-hmm. and and there have been, uh, uh, there's been documentaries about mm-hmm. Rabin County. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. It's R A B U N County, um, mm-hmm. Georgia, which is where it was filmed. There's the river was false. What they were, what they filmed on was the Chattanooga, which makes me think of the Chattanooga choo choo. And, um, yeah, so there's a, there's a documentary from 2012 called The Deliverance of Raven County, exploring the effects of the landmark film on people in the county. Some people are pragmatic, some people aren't. The kid that plays the banjo kid, mm-hmm. he could not play the banjo. Oh, really? He was cast for his look uh-huh. because he, quote, looked inbred. Like, yeah. Yeah, that was what I read. Mm-hmm. This guy didn't see that much money because he's working at Walmart now, wow. trying to make ends meet. That is sad. Um, and he didn't play the banjo. Mm-hmm. So his shirt was designed so that the person who played the banjo would you like, yeah, him. would puppet him, basically. Wow. Yeah. He was 16 at the time. And he's only been in, uh, he, he basically gets called to play banjo and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he still knows how to play the banjo, but he does get acting roles right. every once in a while because he's that kid from Deliverance. But yeah, worked at Walmart. Oh, that's a pity. There's a lot of that. When we've gone through this particular section of film, people getting exploited, people yeah. getting... It's, it's a pity. I always wondered how... Um, even when you're watching something like The Simpsons, there's a target that, that's still safe to, for everyone to make fun of, and it tends to be you know, the mountain folk and the hillbilly people, and, yeah. and it's just a damn shame. It is. Yeah, um, and I don't want to. Blame Does this, this give people a right to vote for, for Trump? I mean, you know, don't don't do that. No, well, but what? yeah, poor white people are sort of one of those right. la- poor white people and Asians. That's who you can make fun of now right. in in popular culture, without getting right without getting back, backlash. Or anything it like feels that. like that's why I like the McElroys because they are like a positive view right. of West Virginia. Right. Like they're from West Virginia. Which is making a poor showing in the Senate situation right now, y'all. But yeah, well, I'm glad that you saw it. I'm I'm glad I'm, that I saw it, but it's always, I mm-hmm. I have problems with it outside of you know it's a problematic film. Right. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like I have issues with them. Like these are legitimate issues mm-hmm. with the the film, the script, and the making but of the it's film. It's great. Also, you have to say that you have strong feelings about it on the film itself. Yes. That this used to be what filmed it. It provoked people, but right. not necessarily in this sort of flippant way. Right. But you were, you're thinking about what you saw. Yeah. It's not a piece of disposable cinema. 
it's uh, you know one of those films that's been earmarked as culturally significant. I think every film that we've seen, with the exception maybe of uh, no, maybe even Clueless has been you know earmarked as being culturally significant because that's I what we're so. doing. Yeah, that's we're the whole doing point of this. Things that changed uh, culture, and this one certainly did. Or things that you know about, even mm. if you haven't seen them, right. just through cultural osmosis. Right. Um, yeah, if you say Deliverance to people, they know dueling banjos. Right. They know, they know squeal like a pig. Mm. They know he's got a pretty mouth. Right. Though th- that was the extent of basically what I knew coming in. Right. And you know, twenty minutes in, we crossed all those lists off the list because dueling banjos happens right at the beginning. Right at the beginning. Yeah. It was a very. It's a that's a very cool scene. Like I enjoyed yeah. watching that scene. Um, and we forgot to mention the dancing man who just spontaneously oh, yes. breaks and out dancing. Oh yes, and there's a there's a man who they were laughing at, basically, mm. to, to who was getting them gas. A man with nary a tooth in his head, if I had to guess. Um, which is fine. I saw... I mean, soft foods. I watched, but they were mocking him, and then he does this sort of soft-shoe jig right. situation. Like, pure joy at right. hearing this music. And I was like... Can we not mock that? Like that's legit. <laughs> right. I have I, uh, I have a, a friend on Facebook who's a film reviewer and she lives in Ireland. And her watching this movie from the point of view of somebody who has no oh, idea wow. about the culture. She was just writing, you know, like the the shock from her when she's writing like, does anybody is, is this really what it's like? You know? I mean the first thing that hit her was like Burt Reynolds back in the day. Oh my God! Yeah, where's your mustache? <laughs> right, but there was also his the, face looks weird without a mustache. Uh, he looks he looks very Native American without the mustache. I guess that's true. You Maybe can really that's see right. the cheekbones and the brows, and it's it's really there. And uh, and so I felt like his uh, hairline was further back than I recall it his being. His hairline later. always was. I was mean, does he, it move a lot? It moved <laughs> forward as he grew older. Interesting. That's interesting. Um, I don't think that's how that normally works. Right. That, that wound up being another thing that he did. He did not have the Sean Connery confidence to go without the toupee. Uh, oh, way to go, buddy! But if um, you if it makes you feel good. You wear that but wig. That's your is, hair. You he paid also for did it. Public appearances without the toupee too. So it's just you know he was one of those people who wasn't trying to convince you that he wasn't balding because he had everything else going for him. Right. So, right. Right. So but he prefers right this way. Yeah. It's like makeup. That that's honestly what I see a toupee as. Mm-hmm. It's like makeup. Right. <laughs> like I fit. I wear this. I put this on before mm-hmm. I leave the house to make me feel confident or whatever. And he addressed it the safest possible way, which is not to make a huge deal out of it. Just like, yeah, okay, here. Yep. Sometimes it's here, sometimes it's not. I didn't. I yeah. I didn't even realize that. But yeah, now that I'm yeah. thinking about, it, because you just think that thick head of hair right. and that thick mustache. Well, he had more hair all over the rest of his body. The he hairy, was the hairy a chest, higher suit individual. <laughs> um, um, and, and it's it's hard. I know that there was all sorts of problematic issues with him later on, but I grew up watching a lot of his films. Well, he's still alive. He's yeah. 82 years old. And uh, and so it was kind of fun watching him before he was in he Gunsmoke? Stuck. Oh, yeah. He was in Gunsmoke. He apparently had a... There's a really funny episode of Twilight Zone where... I forgot he was with Lonnie Anderson. Right. Well, I'm having flashbacks to the 80s. All right. But okay. anyhow, I'm glad that you enjoyed the movie. I mean, I don't think the movie that that's... <laughs> Accurate. Tolerated the movie. Or Here's what I'll say. Saw the merits. If you feel like watching a right. suspense movie or a thriller that takes place 
with rafting, mm-hmm. I recommend a River Wild. It's got Meryl Streep in it and Kevin Bacon. Yeah, that's a this. I still think having read the screenplay, there's a lot going for this movie. Especially, it's good, but I'm I'm gonna say that if you, I mean, it, this is gonna trigger. Uh, oh, if yeah. you've got a trigger, uh-huh. this is probably gonna trigger you. you know, it is very difficult to Ned watch. Ned Beatty mentioned there was a reunion interview with the four mm-hmm. leads, and he mentioned that people were physically running out of the theater at seeing some of the things that happened in this film. Yeah. And it was, strangely enough, the one that got to most people was the compound fracture. That really Yeah, it's running. Well, you know what it is. Mm-hmm. It's not the compound fracture. It's, I just saw a violent sexual assault, mm-hmm. a man get arrowed through the chest and then watch that get pulled out. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of... Um, sort of frenetic mm-hmm. canoe rapids right. scenes and now you're giving me compound fracture. I don't, I think it's the compound of right. the compound fracture. Well then uh, again if you were made it through that then you got the scene of of uh Ed pulling an arrow out of himself which also Yes. was you know I think you'd have to go back on to Greystoke yeah. before you saw something that horrid again but it's um yeah, yeah. so it's rough going. Yeah. It, a River it, Wild. It's a very, <laughs> it's I a recommend. very rough movie. I, a River Wild. You have to. <laughs> the River Wild. But oh, if no. you're going to see it, it is a a really. It's beautiful, and, and it's, it is well lit, and it's also short. Right. What was it like a tight eighty two or something? Like I don't know. That? It felt like it. It moves as fast uh, as that damn river is what it does. You know, it's it, and maybe the river gives it a sense of forward motion. You know that that also helps for as many scenes that take place in quote-unquote real time. Oh, no, 150. Mm-hmm. So. It didn't feel like it. It moved uh, very quickly. Parts of it did. I think when you get back <laughs> to civilization, then you're sort of going, well, where is it going from here? And that's when you, when I started getting restless, like, um, either they're going to get away with it or they're not going to get away with it. Right. And, yeah. and I almost wanted the film to finish faster so that I could see them at least get away with it because I didn't feel like... Yeah, like, know, are we... Are, they, are we good? Punish are we fine? For this? Uh, yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. So, that's that. That's that. <laughs> so, what's the next film? Are we going for... 2001? 2001. For all of you who were really upset by some of our choices, 2001 is going to be <laughs> a much easier watch, I think. Is it? Way. There's not... Isn't it like four hours of monkeys looking at rocks? No, it is not four hours. Okay. Actually, it's about... Two hours of monkey looking at rocks, and then about two hours of rocks looking back at monkeys. Oh, see? <laughs> That's how they It's a they very sentient rock. So this is a Stanley Kubrick movie? This is, yes? yeah. This is the How I Can't Do That mm-hmm. uh, movie? Yeah, yeah. And something about an obelisk and monkeys. Right. Okay, That's the extent of my knowledge of this movie. Uh-huh. I sound... Not very smart, but that is no, what I know about this movie. It is a milestone in film. It was one of the rare times that you really got an author seriously involved in the making of a movie, and it was probably on the basis of that. Who, that ma- who was the author? Arthur C. Clarke. Oh, interesting. So um, I read a lot of him in college. This is another really unusual in that it had every film. I discussed this with my son the other day because we saw it together. Every film that's been made after this movie looks like this movie. Okay, interesting. Okay. The, the, it, this is so the, I'm going to be like, I've seen this before. No, but this is the jump forward in special effects, and there's still things that people okay. won't do. Okay. It's like sound in space is never done more realistically than this. There is no sound. 
There is no sound in space. There's parts of it that are just like watching a ballet, and for those of you who hate ballet, it'll be the same problem. It's okay. beautiful, but it goes on. Okay. All um, right. So let's yeah. let's it's, leave it there. It so really 2001, Space Odyssey, next for next time. But yeah, no um, one gets raped or murdered. It, well, is it very long? I feel like it's also it very long. About two hours and forty-five minutes. Yeah, that's long. Okay. okay. And you know I don't like to split mm-hmm. a movie, so we're gonna have to find three hours. You know what? I can tell you something though. I can tell you that this is if you ever have to split a movie. This is one that you can do because it essentially comes in three parts. Okay, so he does like he does in Full right. Metal Jacket, Chapter where he's one. like, "Hey, right. this is a movie," and now, "Hey, this is a totally different movie." Right, and again, but it's all progressive. But the the yeah, I don't know. I, I'll be effusive. I'm warning you ahead of time. All right. Well, this is a beautiful film. All right. Also, there are way more people in it than I thought there were. And lots of monkeys. Monkeys. Lots of monkeys. Okay, are they monkeys or are they apes? Um, they Get are. Somewhere in between us and... Oh, like Missing Link. Right. Exactly. All right. Do you have any recommendations this week, sir? I would say, although it's useless to tell people that they would like Infinity Wars, because if you want to see it, this is exactly what you think you can see it. Yes. All right. Also, you've seen it, because this is going to come out next week. Yeah, exactly. So So it's like, go see that movie that everyone saw Hey, you know that movie that... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it was a lot funnier than I thought it was going to be. They had apparently they had Taika Waititi and also who else was the recent were recent directors come in and punch up the script for comedy. Yeah, I can imagine because um, it would be really dire if they hadn't. So here's the thing about Infinity Wars. If you've not seen all of the other Marvel movies, right. that's fine. I understand it's an investment. Mm -hmm. They did warn you this was coming. It's been coming for a decade. But do yourself a favor and watch one of those, here's everything you need to know about the Infinity Wars in 17 minutes or whatever beforehand. Because this movie, unlike prior Avengers movies, does not take you around to each person and go, this is Iron Man, and you may recall him from such adventures as blah blah Mm -hmm. None of this. They are... They hit the ground running. It's already a long, long time. Mm-hmm. They do have to get to a lot of people, but they're already they're in it. They do a great job of hitting. I mean, of hitting just these sort of notes with most of the characters. I mean, they can't get to all of them. Some of them they they can't get to. Some of them are not. Yeah, are not. Um, and I won't go because any maybe because they away. might be in a movie later this summer or right. something. But <laughs> The characters that are in there, a lot of them, surprising number of characters got a full arc. Yep. Uh, I was surprised by that. I was surprised by how much humor winds up in the film. Yep. Um, Which I think is Chris important. Chris Pratt. He's really funny. He can deliver a line like nobody's business. Um, but And also something else, as much as I really think that Josh Brolin is overused these days, He's everywhere. I don't enjoy him. He actually does a really good part. Yes, he's he's very good. the The villain in this movie could be one dimensional and blah, which right. Marvel has had a problem with in the past. Right. As much as I, and I am a fucking Marvel stan, I am not mm. shy about saying that. But some of their villains are weak. Thanos not weak, no. like physically or emotionally. Thanos actually, because I was worried about that. Back in the very first Avengers film, when you see his face, I'm like, oh, that guy. 
Because <laughs> um, I remember this big purple dude books. that looks like a bottle cap. <laughs> <That's> my <laughs> favorite. <laughs> but this film actually has some moments of the motion capture working really weirdly mm-hmm. well. Um, well, I think it's because it's 2018 right. and they're getting very good at it. Also, I think the production budget on this movie is, is like insane. $400 million or something. Some, yeah, obscene yeah. amount of money. It's like a billion with marketing. Like, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, and which leads us back to a film we didn't see, which is Apocalypse Now. Right. When that cost $30 million and went wildly over budget. They're like, Producers, someday all of the movies will cost this much. And Francis Ford Coppola told them, Someday, every movie is going to cost $30 million. Nowadays, $30 million is a low-budget film. Well, you, that's the other thing, is people yeah. were, were like thought that was a crazy number, and I'm like, count the movie stars in this movie. Right. They got paid, mm-hmm. and some of them got paid a shit ton, well, because was, Robert Downey uh, Jr. has been Iron Man for 10 movies or something now. Yeah. He's getting his... Money. <laughs> One of the things when I was a kid, or when I read the article that uh, Ray Harryhausen, his last film, Clash of the Titans, right? Before he succumbed to arthritis and he couldn't animate any mm. longer, which was a huge pity. Uh, at the very end of his career, he does Clash of the Titans, which is a big note to go out. And, and at this point, he'd been making fantasy movies for years on small budgets because people, producers, didn't put money into fantasy movies. Mm. But in the post Star <laughs> Wars. Is. Right, which is crazy. So he kept the torch burning all this time, and then by the time that Star Wars came out and stuff started catching up, he's doing films now, and this is the last one he's able to do. And he goes, I really thought that because they said, we're giving you $20 million, I was going to get more money. I really thought, okay, I'll get a studio this time, because he's working out of his kitchen in some t- points, wow. out of his garage. He's going to get a huge studio space. And he says, we got, I got two assistants, and that was it. And the rest went to Harry Hamlin or whatever? Well, the rest went to the fact that all the gods, they decided it was a cute idea to have the gods played by Ursula Andress, Maggie Smith, Laurence Olivier. Laurence Maggie Olivier Smith? Maggie Smith. Is, uh, what? I think it was I'm going to have to but watch that movie again. Claire Bloom and Laurence Olivier. And he's like, they just took all of our all money. All of our money. <laughs> and so he thought, I thought, I mean, yeah, go. that's right. the thing. Yes, the the, yeah. the CGI work in this movie was very good and mm-hmm. was expensive. Right. So were all of those yes, actors. All of those actors were. And again, as I was saying, I think Josh Brolin's a little overused. I'm I was watching I've seen at least three trailers in the theater where he's appearing in another movie. Oh really? It's like you're in Deadpool. You're in Well, I forgot he was Sicario too. You're in you know, it's just like, all right, I'm kind of I, Oh I, yeah, and I want to stop seeing your mug. Right. Yeah, no, I get that. But uh, well this time you don't have to. But yeah, he his character is compelling. His reasoning is really bizarre and flawed, but it's actually a reason. Yeah, he has a reason. His solution it's, is bonkers. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. But anyway, okay, so, so we're not going to spoil. We're not going right, to do any of that. That would so. be my recommendation, but I feel like it's pointless since everyone who's going to see it is going to see it, and everyone who isn't. Yep. Yeah. So no recommendation then this week. Well, that would be it if okay. I did, because uh, I know that okay. we're going to be. Um, and I'm going to say. If you want to watch a creepy movie that isn't, like, it's not formulaic, but it's not surprising. And it has some good performances. The Autopsy of Jane Doe is very good. Now, we should warn people that boobs. this movie... Oh, no. And boobs. <laughs> also is, boobs, though. Also boobs. Um, dead boobs, which is 
debatable. Um, but when you're watching this film, just keep in mind that the word autopsy is in the title. Oh, yeah, no, they, they are performing a scientifically accurate autopsy. Right. On a corpse. I will Through say, the entire movie. I'm so. generally not... I'm not squeamish. It's just like after a while... But you don't like watching people get cut open. You always say ew when we're watching medical shows too. Right. Well, because the thing is, it's just... No. And especially when we're eating. Right. I, I don't eat and watch gore. But I will say that this film handled it in such a way that it wasn't didn't feel exploitational. No. I mean, there's nudity all yes. over the film. And there's a, a very accurate... Not turning the camera away, dissection mm-hmm. of a human body. And if you don't want to watch it or you like watch it and mm-hmm. want to hear some stuff about it, uh, Unabashedly Obsessed with James and Aaron uh, did an episode on Autopsy of Jane Doe, which is why I wanted to watch. It was a movie that I wanted to see. Did they give away the ending? Uh, they do a recap of it. Okay, so if so. you want to watch the movie, watch right. it first, which they do uh, warn you about in the show, too. Mm-hmm. They're like, we're going to spoil this, so... Mm. Which is why they've got a couple. Of, I've got a couple in my queue of them watching stuff that I want to see, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I have to watch the movie before yeah, I exactly. can watch this. So, so that's why we did that, and I enjoyed it. The and I and I learned the actress who was cast uh, as the Jane Doe, the corpse, got the job. One of the reasons she got the job was because she has um, she practices yoga. <laughs> and has kidding? extraordinary breath control. Oh my god! I was about so to make a joke of that. Well, she can hold her breath for a long she time. She can hold her breath for a long time, or she can breathe in a way where mm-hmm. she's not ma- making. So it's not just a body cast in a lot of it. She's mm-hmm. physically laying wow, on the. That's, thing. And it must have been very brave to do that because she she's playing a corpse, so she's covered in makeup. Yes, she's and and yes, yeah, she's a like an unnatural white. Right, she is she's the palest. Pearlescent yes. is the word. So it makes it very um, striking looking. It's a very striking composition. Yeah, but again, you know, I it's got Emile Hirsch in it and Brian Cox. Right. Both of them are fantastic um, and very realistic. I like it when you give me a realistic portrayal of a person in a situation. And the girl who plays Kitty in Elementary. Right. Yeah, she was in that. I, I, so I I enjoyed it. Um, or if you just want to listen to fun commentary on it, then Unabashedly Obsessed with James mm-hmm. and Aaron. I recommend that show okay. all of the times. All right. That's going to do it? That's going to do that's it. That's going to do it. Uh, so in summation, <coughs> watch uh, River Wild. Uh, and uh, we thank you very much for listening. And we thank you for being brave enough to take this river trip with us. I'm definitely making Dueling Banjos the theme this week. All right. So thank you, Dueling Banjos, and whoever owns the rights to that, because it's a whole fight. You could read about it on Wikipedia. Really? Uh-huh. Huh. We are reachable at uh, Latecomers Pod on Twitter, mm-hmm. latecomerspod at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group and a Facebook page because I don't know the, dif- the difference, so I did both. <laughs> yeah. Probably unnecessary. Um, you can find us at latecomerspod or just look for a latecomers podcast. You'll see us. They're dinosaurs in the TV. So that brings us to the end. To the end. We're seeing rusted cars now, and we're paddling right. to the Our vehicle, the it's really here. Right. It's, a, it's a miracle. Everything yeah. happened right here. Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> it's a sad movie. Maybe I'll look for that 
and the baby has the hardest part. <laughs> that would be. You could open I just gotta figure out where I heard it. Anyways, so thank you so much for listening, yeah. and remember, better, better late, late than, than never. never. That's a lot. I know, but there was so.